Welcome to the Smart Planning 101 podcast, episode 18. I'm Nicole Whip, and I'm your host. It's time to face facts. Getting older can be scary. And when you, your spouse, or your parents are getting up there in age, being unprepared can turn the golden years into the darkest years of your life. That's why the Smart Planning 101 podcast is here to shed some light on intelligent estate planning, strategic financial decision making, healthcare options, and all things related to growing older with dignity. Here's your host, elder law attorney, Nicole Whip. Hello, smart planners. Thanks for joining me for episode 18 of the Smart Planning 101 podcast. And once again, we are continuing our five-part series of the five things adult children of aging parents need to know now. In this episode, Audrey Earhart of Elder Council and I will be discussing the things that the adult children need to understand that they may be taking on as legal responsibilities on behalf of their parent. And this is really a great topic because there may be things that you don't realize that become legal responsibilities or that you haven't thought all the way through yet, You, whether you are the, actually the aging parent or you are the adult child. And so it's just important to understand the importance of really being responsible legally for another human being, right? And that's one thing when it's our children, but it's a whole different thing when it's actually our parents. And now we move to this episode, which is about, hey, what are those legal responsibilities that you're going to be asked to take on? And what does that really mean for you as the adult child? To hear any of those previous episodes, please visit smartplanning101.com. Thanks for listening. All right, so let's move on to topic number four. Yes, so we've talked about number one, the cost of long-term care rising in America. Number two, which is that our basic estate planning not being enough. We just finished number three, the long-term care options that are available in our communities. And now we're turning to number four, which is one of the things that really hits near and dear to my heart, but the legal responsibilities that an adult child may be asked to take on for a parent. And I'll say right off the bat, Nicole, those will be ones that we know about, um, that we've heard about, and ones that we have absolutely no idea are out there. I would say that the sleeping landmines that are out there. Right. So what are those things? Because that's a, that's a big deal. Sure. You know, um, you know first, off, first off, I think that the question becomes, and I, I hinted on this a little bit earlier in the presentation, of there are powers of attorney, so financial power of attorney documents, durable powers of attorney, that become active the minute that we sign them, which means that our agent or the person that we name to act for us can act immediately, regardless of capacity. That's the case in, in a number of states. And so I think as the adult child, you want to be asking the question, when does my responsibility begin? When am I supposed to be acting? for my parent? When am I going to be making decisions? How am I supposed to be making decisions? Do I need a copy of the document? How do I sign my name? What are the questions I should be asking? And do I have, Nicole, you and I talk about this a lot, do I have any fiduciary responsibility to my parent to make certain decisions? And I know we, we've talked a lot about the fact that, that yes, that is something that's out there um, to watch out for. And as the child, you need to be aware of what you're getting yourself into. Your parent may not live in your state. And the rules of your state um, where you would be acting as an agent are completely different from the rules governing the parent's document in another 
another state. So I would say to you, it's incredibly important before you take on these duties yourself, even though your parents named you, it's important for you to have an elder law attorney of your own read the document, assess it, and give you a candid opinion on what is your liability and what are your responsibilities going forward to take the best care possible of your parents. Again, it's not a world in this instance where the intuitive choice may be the right choice. Um, where, you know, you say, well, you know, I just make sure that mom and dad are fed and they seem safe and it's okay. You know, it's, it's not necessarily that basic. It comes down to investments in long-term care placement choices and understanding how to make decisions even if your parent, who may or may not have capacity, is at odds with you. Right. So a great example I, I've run into this recently would be, and this might be something that would be very common if you're an adult child. So... um you here you are daughter acting as mom's financial power of attorney and there are other siblings involved and mom has dementia and mom has gone to live with sister and now you daughter power of attorney are paying sister <laughs> for mom's care just sort of what sure. and this is part of the conversation we had in the last topic but but you're doing this because, of course, you know, sister's taking time out of her life. You think it's completely fair. All the family agrees it's fair that sister should get paid. Um, you know, mom's living under sister's roof. You know, of course, she needs to pay something, et cetera, et cetera. So everybody thinks, you know, that this is all kosher. However, you're paying sister without a caregiver contract, which is causing a penalty situation for mom. And, um, you know, you're causing a situation that mom may be in what I call the Medicaid black hole, which is you spend her money and now she can't qualify for Medicaid because you've created a penalty situation. Now you have breached your financial or your fiduciary responsibility to mom and you didn't even realize it. I was smiling, Nicole, because I would take that even a step further And when I would often see it in cases where, and now we're reading through this power of attorney that was drafted five, six years ago, and it doesn't give you the authority to pay any any money for any reason to a family member. So now we're going to be asking for sister for that money back um, because otherwise we may have a, have a duty to press charges, the other siblings who are there. And so it's a very, very tricky situation yes. to, to find yourself in. Um, but it's also, again, the problem with the intuitive choices that we'd make as human beings and what's actually controlled by the legal documents. And so that's what we're talking about, I think, Nicole, both you and I, when we're talking about those legal responsibilities, what are our parents getting us into? And have they thought those choices through? Have they thought about what needs to be done in every situation? And I would say, you know, in my experience, um, you know, six out of 10 parents haven't thought about that next step, the fact that it should be in the document that you're allowed to pay a sibling for caring for them. Wait because a minute. That Wait a minute. Oh, yeah. Are you really saying that you think that four out of 10 people actually do think about these things? Because I think that's very generous. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I should say nine out of 10 people. Nine out of 10 people don't don't consider that. I'm, I, I was being, you know, I was being generous for your audience. You were so being I'm generous. sorry, everybody. Yes. <laughs> But no, I, but I think, but I think that's what we often come across is the fact that, and I mean, I run across it with people. Um, I always end up talking to people at dinner parties about law. I guess I have lawyer stamps somewhere on me that I just don't know where it says that. But this is a, a great conversation piece of no, you probably can't pay a, a family member for caring for a loved one, um, and the document probably says that. And that's something you all need to be aware of that you can very easily get yourself into trouble if you don't thoroughly understand that document. And law, legal, legal documents are not easy to understand. Um, that's why, again, I would say, you know, before you take on the responsibility of 
being um, an agent or acting for a parent, being a trustee, what are you getting involved in? What's required by your state? If you're not in the state that the document lives in, what are the requirements of that uh, state? And that's something to really watch out for because you, especially when you have siblings, you're going to have to be reporting to them, explaining what's going on. And, and that's something that we want to be really cautious with to make sure we don't have a misstep. Absolutely. Um, so I think that the thing about being a fiduciary, which means that you are legally responsible for doing what's best for the person that you're acting for, is something that could be a real landmine for people. They just need to understand what it really means for them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, what does it mean for them? You know, what type of reporting do they need to have? And, you know, and, and I, I would say this, you know, to a lot of people that, you know, for them, for your listeners, when they go to the attorney, the elder law attorney's office, it's going to seem overwhelming for you and me, Nicole. It's pretty much a routine explanation of this is how we do it. This is how it operates. These portions of the law are fairly cut and dry, often controlled by the documents, but fairly cut and dry. And while it may seem overwhelming, it won't be when you have the right elder law attorney who does this on a daily basis. So that's why I would say to you, really having that person to guide you at this point is crucial, um, especially when you're getting into a, into a part of this representation of your parents where you will become legally responsible for them, both personally and as far as, as finances go. Well, but what about these people that will say, well, we did see an attorney and this is what the attorney gave us. And so we, we got this advice and they told me that I was all set and now you're telling me something else. That, that's always a fun conversation to have. Um, I say that very tongue-in-cheek. Um, that's a difficult conversation to have, um, you know, and, and that's something that we have to be very on guard against as attorneys because there are different interpretations um, for different types of practices. I will say that more specifically than within the elder law practice. There are attorneys who don't have elder law training who may interpret a document differently than an elder law attorney will interpret it. And so I would say to your listeners, they really need to have someone who's been practicing elder law, knows what they're doing, has certain designations that say they practice elder law. Um, you know, my firm, that's all we did. Uh, you know, Nicole, I know you're very devoted to elder law. We didn't step outside that. I, you know, I, I wouldn't ask for an opinion in this area on an attorney who practices 35, 31 different flavors of law um, and not specifically elder law. Exactly. So you don't want to be discussing this with a general practitioner. And um, you may really not even want to be discussing this with an estate planning attorney. And I don't think people really do understand that there is a fundamental difference between people that practice elder law and people that do estate planning. But I think you and I can agree that there is, correct? Oh, I, I, I completely think that there is. I um, mean, you know, just from a practice perspective, I did very, you know, in my last years of my career, I did very little estate planning. I worked with estate planning attorneys who did the estate planning. I was only doing Medicaid and VA pension solutions and strategies. It's a very different type of law, and I think it's very easy to do both. It's a perfect nature, a perfect mesh to do both. But I, I know for me, um, my practice for elder law was so robust and so demanding. There was no time for estate planning. They're very, very different. Well, or see, your practice was just structured differently. Like then this, I say mine, and I think that my practice is very similar to many elder law attorneys, which is that our estate planning has a component of elder law built into it already. So, you know, sometimes I think people like in your practice, elder law was really doing crisis strategies in the time of disability and need, right? 
It, it was. It was half that, and then half of it was the figuring out how to stay in the home as long as possible right. and be able to afford care in the home, whether that was making our assets um, work for us in an income sense or accessing home care benefits. Right. And then for elder law attorneys like myself, we're saying, let's look at the estate planning landscape and figure out how to integrate these asset protection strategies and these pre-planning strategies, which is a topic that we're going to be getting into, into the existing estate planning so that when or if something happens, we already have a plan and we don't need to think about it um, as much as we would then because it's much more stressful and difficult to think about these things when everything's happening at one time. It's much easier to deal with it when you can do it a little more methodically in the estate planning context and say, okay, how are we going to plan for that future? Exactly. My perfect world is for the person who needs estate planning, and then we make some elder law enhancements. I agree. So that actually, I think, unless you have something else to add, leads us to the fifth topic. No, I completely agree. You know, so far we've gone through our four topics. We've talked about the rising cost of long-term care first. Uh, second, the fact, which we covered a little bit again just now, that basic estate planning isn't enough for our older Americans. Then we turned to our third topic, which was talking about the all the long-term care options available in our community. It's not just nursing homes and the house. And then fourth, we turn to the legal responsibilities that an adult child could be asked to take on for a parent and what those are. And now turning to topic five, we're going to talk about the pre-planning options that your aging parent needed yesterday. This concludes part four of the five-part series on the five things adult children of aging parents needs to know now. In our next and final installment, Audrey and I will be discussing the pre-planning options that your parents really needed yesterday. Because believe it or not, there are things that can be done today, even if parents are perfectly healthy, in order to plan ahead and guard against sort of this catastrophe that happens financially and emotionally when a loved one needs advanced levels of care. So be sure to tune in to episode 19, which is where we will be discussing that topic. To read the show notes on this episode or for any questions, comments, or feedback that you have on this episode, please visit smartplanning101.com forward slash 18 and let me know what you think. We always want to hear your feedback. It's really important. And if you're so inclined, I would very much appreciate a rating and review on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening. Now that you're starting to get the knowledge you need to make better planning decisions, don't let your journey stop there. You can gain access to Nicole's incredible guide, A Will is Your Ticket into Probate Court, the five crucial facts about wills everyone needs to know right now. And the best part is, you can download it for free by going to smartplanning101.com wills right now. Time is flying by, so don't wait another day to download this must-have guide And we'll see you next time on the Smart Planning 101 podcast. The information contained within this podcast does not constitute legal or financial advice. It's for general informational purposes only. For advice specific to your situation, consult with your legal or financial professional.